Welcome to our look together at John chapter 5 in Daily Drive Time Devotions. Hi, I'm Pastor Tom Holliday, and this is day one of our look at this chapter. We're going to look today at verses 1 to 7. Before we even begin to dive into chapter 5, this is a good opportunity, I think, to remind ourselves of some of what's happened in John chapters 1 through 4, some of the things that you and I together have learned as we've walked through these chapters of God's Word together. Remember back in John 1, verses 1 to 18, we were reminded that Jesus is God, Jesus is life, Jesus became flesh for us. In John 1, the last half of the chapter, John the Baptist, his life is laid out for us. We learned the secret to living a great life. Know who you are, know who you are not, know who Jesus is. In uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51, we saw the calling of the disciples and how Jesus' call is molded to fit different personalities. In John chapter 2, 1 to 11, he turned the water to wine, and we learned that if you want to see miracles, one of the keys is to start serving. Last part of John chapter 2 was about how Jesus cleans temples and how he wants to bring holiness into our lives. In John chapter 3, the first part of the chapter is about Nicodemus, how to make a spiritual success out of your life. And then John 3.16, the greatest verse in all the Bible. John chapter 4, we looked at last week, the woman at the well, how to have an authentic talk with someone about how God can make a difference in your life. And the last part of John chapter 4, the healing of the nobleman's son, the overriding priority that Jesus has of deepening our faith. And now we get to John chapter 5. And as we get there, we are, we are in a sense turning a corner in the gospel. John begins in chapter 5 to trace a growing rejection and hostility towards Jesus that centers around three separate acts of healing. Here in John chapter 5, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, in John chapter 9, the healing of a man who was born blind, and in John chapter 11, the healing of his friend Lazarus. In John chapter 5, as we look at this healing that Jesus works, we're going to focus the first three days on what happened in the man's life and how God helps us when we're helpless. And the last couple days of this week, we're going to focus on what happened in the Pharisee's life, how this healing challenged them to think in new ways. We're going to see a couple of things in this miracle, the things you always see in a miracle. We're going to see how Jesus works, but we're also going to see who Jesus is. Let me read for you John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Once again, it's always good to get your bearings before looking at the truth. The Bible is not filled with abstract realities. It's filled with solid history. It's filled with real truth. And as we look at these first couple of verses of John 5, it's a reminder that if you want to better understand God's Word, there's a couple of good things to understand, especially reading through the Gospels. It's good to understand and to be able to picture Jerusalem and Israel in your mind. It says here that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, why would it say that? Well, Jerusalem literally was up. It was up in the mountain, so he climbed up to Jerusalem. See, you picture Israel, the nation of Israel, and how he went from the south to the north and then to the north to the south, how he went up the mountains of Jerusalem. It's also good to picture Jerusalem itself. Here it talks about the sheep gate, near the sheep gate. In Jerusalem, there were these gates in the wall, places where people would not only walk through but also stop to gather and oftentimes conduct business. And this was the sheep gate where the sheep were taken through for the sacrifices north of the Temple Mount. It's just identifying here where this happened. It says this place was uh, near a pool where there were five covered colonnades. Some people ask, why five? Is there some spiritual symbol here? No, it's just a description. These are real places. That's what this is reminding us of. So if you want to get your bearings in the Gospels, 
It's good to be able to picture Israel, picture Jerusalem in your mind. It's also good to have in mind the Jewish calendar. It says here that he went up for a feast, a, a festival. Now, what feast was this? Well, we're not sure exactly because it, it doesn't say. Some people think it was the feast that was at the new year, the festival of the trumpets. We are going to discover as we continue through this central section of the book of John that it's built around Jesus's activities as he went to various feasts. We're going to see in chapter 6, he goes to the Passover. In chapter 7, he goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. In chapter 10, he goes to the Feast of Dedication. In chapter 11, he's back a year later at the Feast of Passover again. So John is building what he's saying to us around what happened as Jesus went to be with the crowds in these feasts. And here's what happened that day as he went to be with those crowds. John chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Here at this pool, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So you picture Jesus in this crowd. The feast days were when people crowded together around this pool. There were more there then than at any other time. And there's this one man who was there. He'd been there waiting to be healed for 38 years. Imagine that, 38 years. You may have been dealing with a problem for a long time, 12 years, 20 years. You may have given up. You may have thought, it's never going to be taken away. Well, here's this man who's been laying in this same spot, apparently, for 38 years. He'd been sick for 38 years, and something happened that day. John chapter 5, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? That may sound like a pretty obvious question, but... We all know, we all understand, there are a lot of reasons we get stuck in our pain. And three things that day opened up the possibility of change, of something different happening in this man's life. Three very simple things. First, Jesus saw him. Jesus noticed him, and, and Jesus sees you. He knows what's happening in your life. Jesus not only saw him, but he knew his condition. He learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. And Jesus knows your condition. He knows what you're facing right now, today. He knows what your heart is feeling right now. But then a third thing happened. Jesus saw him. He knew his condition. Jesus asked him a question. Do you want to get well? Not just any question. One of life's greatest and deepest questions. Do you want to get well? Now, many people have asked why in this huge crowd Jesus went to just this one man. We aren't going to talk about that as we walk through this week. But for now, focus on the question. Put yourself in his place. Do you want to get well? Listen to what the man said. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. At this pool, this pool of Bethesda, the belief was that an angel would come and stir the water. And when the water was stirred, if you were the first to touch the water, you would be healed. And this man was waiting for that moment when he would get down to the water first. But he was an invalid. So someone with a different illness always arrived before he did. This miracle that Jesus is going to work shows how God deals with human helplessness. And we can all relate because all of us find ourselves paralyzed at times. And in this man's case, there was one barrier that day that stood in the way of change. The barrier was his solution. He had a solution in mind. I've got to get to the water first. He had a faith that desperately needed to be activated, and he thought it was going to be activated if he arrived at the water before someone else. 
He thought there's no other way for this to happen. And so for him, healing had become a matter of competition rather than compassion. He wasn't looking for someone to give him compassion. He was looking to beat the other people to the water, the first one in. Who would be the first one? That was the constant thought every day of his life. And can you imagine? Imagine the bitterness of those who had beat him to the water, those who would not help him to get into the water. He became so focused on what he thought God's solution was going to be that he couldn't see the entirely different solution that God had right in front of him, Jesus Christ. And that happens to all of us. You become so focused on what you think God's solution is going to be that you can't see the entirely different solution that God may have planned for you, has right in front of you. So you think the only way I'm going to be happy is fill in the blank. Maybe God has a different plan. You think the only way for my marriage to be healed is fill in the blank. Maybe God has another way he wants to work that miracle. This man thought that all he needed was a quicker way to get to the pool. But what he really needed, we're going to find out tomorrow, was to follow the command of Jesus Christ and get up and walk. He was trying to get to a pool that maybe an angel stirred so that God would notice him and would heal him. And he didn't realize that God in the flesh was standing right there asking him, do you want to get well? The truth is we often, we often become so focused on one solution, on our solution, that we can't see God's solution. And like this man, because of that, we often become accustomed to life around a pool of misery in bitterness because our solution isn't working, wondering why God isn't doing what we want him to do. It's easy to become accustomed to that kind of a life. But God has something different. Jesus Christ shows up in every one of our lives, and he has an answer for your life. We're going to walk through that the next couple of days. But before that, today as we pray, I want to invite you to pray and invite God's solution in your life. And as you pray, you might just simply say this, Jesus Christ, I take my solution, my way of getting this done, my idea, and I set it at your feet. And I realize you're greater than any solution that I could come up with. And I don't want to get stuck on my idea. I want to get focused on you, who you are, your love, your power. And so, Jesus, I pray. I pray today that you'd help me to lay my idea at your feet. And then in so doing, Jesus, I could see, I could see like I never have before, your direction for my life. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to continue this story. We're going to look at verses 8 to 15 together. 